I'm going to start this episode off with two questions for you. Question number one, do the unsaved go to hell right when they die? Question number two, do the unsaved spend eternity in hell? Now, if you say yes to both of those, then you are just as confused as I was about hell. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. Before we start, I just want to thank my monthly supporters on Patreon who help make this podcast possible. If you would like to join them in supporting Onward in the Faith every month, you can check the link down in the show notes or just hang around till the end of the episode. Now, the intro to this may be confusing to you immediately because... For most people who have what would be called a traditional view of hell, where hell is a real place, it is a place of suffering, and it's a place that is eternal, it may sound almost blasphemous and maybe even unbiblical that I would at all suggest that someone cannot go to hell immediately when they die and be there forever. And for a while, I would have been right on board with you on that because my whole upbringing, my whole understanding, and even how I was reading the Bible was leading me to understand that hell was both where people are now and where they would be forever. But as I've been studying for the past several months for a series where I'm going to look at the three views of hell, uh, and that is universalism, annihilationism, and eternal conscious torment, I found myself really needing to refine and and get a good, solid biblical understanding of what God's Word really reveals to us about hell. And while in the past I've kind of alluded to the fact that there's the, the sequence of events that happens and how people are in a place right now and then they'll be resurrected and judged and sent to the lake of fire, I'll be honest in that I was really struggling to fully and succinctly define how I understood hell. And so as I was really preparing for this series, I realized that, you know, even though I thought I really understood hell, when I was looking at the various viewpoints of what people think happens to the unsaved when they die, I was realizing that even people who agree on people are eternally conscious or people are immediately just kind of deleted from existence, people who agree on that would actually be using hell differently from one another. And it was really confusing because some people would talk about how people would, they would die and go to hell. Or some people would talk about how people would be resurrected by God and then be thrown into hell forever. Or they would say kind of just a hand wavy thing where they would just say, yeah, people die and they spend eternity in hell. And as we're going to see in this episode, there is a huge problem with that because the Bible doesn't actually support that. And there's kind of a lot of reasons why. And right now as I'm recording this, I think I'm going to have to split this into two episodes. And I say that because my my article that I base this on is eight pages, all single-spaced. Now, for context, most of my episodes that are about 40 minutes long are usually working from three or four pages, single-spaced. 
And this is going to be a very, very dense topic. And so I don't want to just overwhelm people and burn them out because they are just listening in pieces. So what I think is probably going to happen, you'll find out when you look at the length of this episode. But as I am sitting here discovering what's going to happen, I think this is going to be two two episodes split up. Uh, So the first episode is probably we're going to be talking about what happens to the unsaved when they die, as well as looking at how um, the the word hell has been translated throughout history into English, especially, which is what we're dealing with here. Uh, Second episode, then, will be us looking at how we can define hell and better understand what hell is and isn't and why we can't say that people are in hell now and will be there forever. So as I said, let's start off and I just want to look at what is essentially the sequence of events that someone's going to go through on death. Now for sake of time and just because of what we're talking about, I'm only going to trace through what happens to an unsaved person when they die. In other words, someone who sins as all of us do, but at death, their sin has not been paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ. He has not suffered in their place. He has not taken the wrath of God on him, and therefore the wrath of God still rests on them. So just the very basics of this journey that this person is going to go through. First, they die. Everybody's got to die. Except for the two people in the Old Testament who actually didn't face death. Uh, Next, they go to what I'm calling a waiting room. Uh, This is where someone goes who has not fully been judged yet. So in the case of the unsaved person, they have to be judged for breaking God's law. But God, because he is just, he cannot punish them yet. So he sends them to basically go sit somewhere until the day of judgment comes. Now their body dies, but their soul is still going on. And you know, we've talked about the the human soul in previous episodes about what is the human soul. And now at this point, then that soul has to go somewhere. And so we would say that they go to some kind of afterlife, someplace that is depicted, especially if you think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus and that picture we get of the rich man. So this is what many people would call hell, the place where people, when they die in their sin, where they are going. Next, there is a resurrection. And we see this resurrection in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13 especially, where it says, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And so here we see that everyone who has ever died throughout all of history who is still in Hades, or what we would call hell in this case, they are resurrected to stand before God. Now, the next stage or the next step is the, this judgment. So the bigger context of Revelation chapter 20, this is verse 12 and 13, says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And so here we see that after this resurrection, God is judging people. And it's not, 
As I've said in the past, it's not God being an accountant weighing their good deeds versus their bad deeds. This is a courtroom setting. And when you're in a courtroom and you have a fair justice system, what a judge is going to do is he is going to look at what you did and compare it to the law. And what he will say is, did you break the law? Yes or no. If you broke the law, it does not matter all the other good stuff you've done you are held accountable for your law breaking. And so God is judging people according to what they had done. Again, not balancing scales, but whether they have or have not perfectly kept his law. And then after this judgment is what I'm going to call the final sentencing. Again, using just that kind of courtroom language. So after being judged, we see in Revelation 20 chapter or verse 15, what happens. And this says that all the unsaved people are going to be sentenced to the lake of fire. It says in verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And this is really key because all of us are guilty of law breaking, every single one of us. But God will also be basically cross-referencing, looking at what's called the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. This is has the names of all those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ so that even though they have broken God's law, God will look at this book of life and essentially say, this this debt has been paid. The crime has already been punished. And because God is good, he's not going to punish a crime that has already been punished. And so even though all of our deeds are going to be known by God, If your name is not in the land's book of life, then you are going to fully suffer God's wrath. And as it says, be thrown into the lake of fire. And this lake of fire is also what people would call hell. So let's go back to the questions at the start of the episode. Do the unsaved immediately go to hell when they die? Or is that where they go after judgment? In other words, are people in hell now or will they be thrown into hell after the judgment. Now, at this point, I'm sure you can kind of better appreciate the confusion that I was facing as I tried to really narrow down a good definition of hell so that I could better understand these different positions that people were taking and honestly why I was getting so confused and why I think other people are just a little bit confused when they're talking about hell. And obviously, I don't think God's word is unclear about it. I think that our tradition and, as we'll see, our translations have actually led to some confusion. But before we can really even get into that, one thing that is going to be important for us to realize and that we need to acknowledge is that there is actually no such place as hell. Now, I don't say that in a universalist, kumbaya, God loves everyone thing, but in the Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in, and in the Greek that the New Testament was written in, no Bible writer ever wrote the word hell. Hell is a translation decision that was made by taking words in the original Hebrew or in the original Greek and and basically bringing it over to our language. So just as in, say, Spanish, when someone says, donde es el baño, In English, we would say, where is the bathroom? We take words and we translate them from the original language into something that we better understand. And if you're a Spanish speaker and I butchered that, I'm sorry. It has been decades, I guess, since I took Spanish, but I think that's close enough. Anyway, 
So what I'm saying is that when we're talking about hell and we're saying, well, here's what the Bible says about hell, and we go to verses that use the word hell, we're going to see now why going and just saying, well, let, let's look up the word hell in the Bible and every instance of hell is clearly talking about hell. Why that's actually leading us to be more confused because when the Bible is translated into English, hell was kind of just a blanket word that was was used to talk about anywhere that the unsaved go. And that's actually led to a lot of confusion for us today. And I want to say, as I've said in the past, when we're looking at the translation of words into English, and I'm talking about how, you know, this is not the best decision. This wasn't the best word as, as we've seen. Because we care so much about the Bible, there is a temptation to either be hyper-defensive and say, oh, you can't question the translators. They were divinely inspired by God, which is unbiblical and a bit heretical. Or we can want to just throw them under the bus and have this idea that they had some kind of ulterior motive in mind where they purposely and intentionally had this agenda in mind when they translated it this way. And I'm not going to take it to either of those because translators are human beings doing the best with what they have and what they can do. Translators are not perfect. They are not divinely inspired by God. There is no nothing beyond church tradition and our own kind of tribalistic idea of wanting to make the Bible translations more than they are that could possibly lead us to believe that. Instead, you have faithful men and women throughout history who have studied languages, who have studied the science of Bible translation, and as they are translating, are just having to make the best with what they can do. And so when it comes to this translation of hell, we can make all kinds of assumptions, we can look at various historical reports, but ultimately what we conclude in a very simple sense is that people just chose to translate hell, and as time has gone on, people have mostly held to that tradition despite the fact that the various words that are translated into hell are not the same thing being discussed. Now, if that's kind of confusing, I'm going to help you because what I want to do right now is look at four different words that are translated into hell throughout the history of Bible translations. Now, this isn't the only discussion of hell because there's things like outer darkness and stuff like that. But in terms of just when we go to, say, a Strong's Dictionary or just Google uh, mentions of hell in the Bible and things like that, and we're just looking at every single verse that says the word hell, what I want to do is just look at what the context of those words are, what the definitions are, and why we can't really translate all of them equally as though they're talking about the exact same place. And after this, we're going to, I think, better be able to understand really just why there's so much confusion surrounding hell and why us saying, when you die, you go to hell and you're there forever— why that is based more on tradition, really, than what God's word reveals. So the first word that has been translated as hell is from the Hebrew. And this is the only Hebrew Old Testament word we're going to have. And this is the word Sheol. Now, modern translations have, I believe, really gotten away from translating this as hell. The only instance I could really easily find that is more common across the more popular Bible translations is in the King James Version. 
Uh, and this isn't, of course, a knock against the King James Version, because again, this was kind of the more revolutionary Bible translation of the time that we have since, as time has gone on, we have better refined our translation methods. But just to give an example, so in in the Old Testament, the word, when, when the Hebrew writers would write Sheol, they had a very definite idea in mind. And if you look at all the instances of this word, it's always talking about the same thing. And what this essentially was, was just the afterlife, just in a very broad, basic sense. When they would talk about people going to Sheol, they would talk about people going to the grave, the afterlife. And at this time in the Old Testament, this is actually where everyone went. Both the by our modern definitions, saved and unsaved, they would both go there. Or in Old Testament terms, those who died uh, with righteousness applied to them or those who died without righteousness applied to them, if you uh, go read Hebrews 11. And so whenever they died, they would just all go to the same place. They would go to Sheol, the grave, the afterlife. And that is essentially where they would stay. Now, if you've read my article, and I think think I did a podcast episode about it, but off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, I've talked about what Christ did when he went to the grave. And one of the things I discuss is that he went to Sheol. He, he went to what we might define as hell, but he went to where the Old Testament saints were hanging out at. And this was called sometimes Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. Uh, but it was essentially a, a small pocket of um, non-suffering of a sort of almost paradise, if you will. And this is where people were kind of going and hanging out because even though Abraham died and God had counted him as righteous, his sin had not been paid for. He had certainly been trusting that God would send a Messiah. He trusted that God would work everything out. And Abraham trusted God and, and lived a life of trusting God. But his sin had still not been paid for. And why this matters is that sin, wickedness, evil cannot be present in God's sight. God cannot be essentially confronted with sin. There cannot be sin in heaven. And so even though these people are in heaven now, right? Abraham is in heaven now because Christ has paid the, 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 the price for his sin. At the time, he went where everyone else went into Sheol. Now, to just give an example of how this is translated in from the Hebrew to the, the uh, English, uh, like I said, I'm going to use a King James translation, and this is in Psalm 18.5. It says, The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. Now, if we were to better translate this or use the original word in Hebrew, instead of the sorrows of hell compassed me about, we would say the sorrows of Sheol compassed me about. Now, the next word to discuss is going to be in the New Testament, and that's what the next or the remaining three of these are going to be. Uh, the next one to talk about is really probably the more popular or more used word, and that is Hades or Hades, if you're going to be a super Greek nerd about it. Uh, but I'm going to say Hades because I watched the Disney movie Hercules growing up, so that is how I will forever say Hades. Now, this one, like I said, is uh, seen most often throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Whenever the New Testament talks about hell, most likely in the Greek, the word is Hades. Now, when 
the contents of the New Testament were being written, when Paul was writing, when the Gospels were being written and things like that, the readers and writers of that time, when the word Hades was written in the original Greek, they thought of it about the same way we think of it. Now for them, it was part of their culture, but they understood Hades the same way we would in that he was a, a Greek mythological god of the dead. He was the one who basically ushered people into the afterlife, and he is the one who, in a way, kind of kept the dead locked down. As a, almost as a jailkeeper, if you will. And so when the original writers then are talking about Hades, they aren't, of course, saying that, you know, people go to this Greek god of the dead because that's, you know, <laughs> that, that's not how it works. That's, that, that's a, a worship of a false god. But instead, they would take a concept in the culture and apply uh, a theological truth to it because in the Greek, they didn't have a good word for Sheol. And so when they are talking to people who are not trained in Hebrew, instead of saying people go to Sheol, they would basically uh, adopt a term that people would be very familiar with, understanding that they don't believe that Hades is a literal god of the dead, but instead talking about the grave, the place where the dead go. And so in the New Testament then, whenever we see this word translated as hell, most often it is the word Hades. So let me give you a very well-known verse that a lot of people think of. So that is going to be in Matthew 16, 18. Uh, and this is Christ talking, and he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, in the original Greek, as I said, because the word hell doesn't actually exist in the original language, and that translating it hell was a decision by uh, Greek to English translators, if we were to read this in the original Greek, it would say that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. Now, if you want to see more instances of this, I will have uh, links down in the show notes where you can actually see all four of these words. Uh, you can click the link and then it'll take you to what is essentially a strong concordance, which lists every word. And so you'll just scroll all the way down to where it says concordance results shown using the ESV. And if you're curious, you can see every instance of Hades ever used and how it is translated into hell. But moving on, uh, a third word is actually only occurs once in the Bible, and that is the word Tartarus. Now, this is once again, just another example of the Greek writers adopting something in the culture to explain something else. Uh, in Greek mythology, Tartarus was essentially the place in the underworld, in the afterlife, where the, the wicked people would go. So you had kind of different pockets of the afterlife. Uh, a lot of people would just go to a place where you were just kind of, it was kind of a neutral zone. It was just a very bland place. Uh, heroes would go to, I believe it was called Elysium. And then the wickedest and most vile of people would go to Tartarus. And this place was no good. It was not a great place. You don't want to go to Tartarus. And so in the New Testament then, we see Tartarus used one time by, by direct mention, and then a second time it is, I believe, hinted at that we could assume it's Tartarus. So it's mentioned by, by, the, by the word in 2 Peter 2.4, and then in Jude 1.6, it kind of alludes to this idea of Tartarus. But in 2 Peter 2.4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, 
and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So in Greek, obviously, this would read that uh, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. And so this Tartarus, as we are understanding it in the use of Second Peter, and again as uh, Jude one six also are one six Jude has one chapter. Sorry, Jude verse six uh, mentions it, Tartarus is this idea of the these rebellious spirit beings were put into a a prison and were kind of chained up and shackled. Now to better understand this, this is uh, almost unquestionably talking about a book that was not divinely inspired by God called the uh, First Enoch or the Book of Enoch. Um, And just talking about the rebellious spirit beings in Genesis 6-4 who uh, took on the appearance of men and impregnated women and it led to the Nephilim and all kinds of of, uh, wild stuff that is is beyond the scope of this episode to discuss but that is another word though where again hell is is used to describe this one thing that is actually completely different from how Hades is discussed previously but again because it's using the same word we are lumping all of this stuff together and now the fourth word and the one that I believe really leads to the most confusion that we have about hell and why we we say that people go to hell and are in hell forever and it's fire and brimstone and all all that. Uh, the fourth word that we're going to look at is Gehenna. Now, Gehenna today is actually a place. It's actually a location. Uh, it's known as the Valley of Hinnom. Um, and as I understand it, Gehenna is gets its name because it's in the Greek. It's something like Gai Hinnom or the, the Valley of Hinnom. And so it got kind of mushed together to Gehenna. Anyway, this is a place that is outside Jerusalem. That is what we know with certainty. Now, on top of that, uh, we actually have some different things that we know about Gehenna. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, it tells us that Israel would actually use this place to sacrifice children to the god Moloch. Now, I'm not going to get into what that looked like, but fire is involved. It is not good. In the New Testament, um, it is commonly believed, there's some argument about it, but it is at least commonly believed that this valley was used to burn garbage and dead animal carcasses. And so, because there was plenty of garbage and dead animal carcasses to burn and to dispose of, uh, this this valley of Gehenna would actually be on fire nonstop. There would constantly be fires burning and smoke rising up. Um, on top of that, Jewish writings after Christ refer to Gehenna as a place of fiery torment for the wicked. So it is a place of suffering and punishment for wicked people. And it's possible that the Pharisees also held this belief. So when Christ is talking to them about Gehenna, when Gehenna has never really been defined in the Bible, that could be because, again, when we're we're reading the Bible. We, the Bible is not talking to us. We are, in a sense, eavesdropping on conversations with people who already know definitions of words. So when Christ is talking about Gehenna to the Pharisees, it is very possible that they that they already knew what he was talking about as this this place of fiery torment. 
And then the final thing worth noting about Gehenna is that we only see it in two instances. First, we see it used by Christ only in the Gospels. And we see it once in James chapter 3, verse 6, where he talks about how the tongue is set on fire by hell. Meaning, watch what you say. But beyond James, the only time we see this Gehenna, this, this place where Israel would sacrifice their children to a false god, this place that may have been a basically a giant dumpster fire, and a place that the Pharisees may have believed was the, the uh, eternal torment for the wicked. This is only mentioned by Christ in the Gospels. It's not talked about by Paul. It's not referred to as Gehenna in things like Revelation even. Now, to uh, show how this has been translated into hell, uh, Mark 9:45, And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And again, if we were to look at this in the original Greek, it would say um, it'd be better to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into Gehenna. And this whole Gehenna thing, like I said, this is where I think a lot of the confusion comes from. And here's why I think that is. Gehenna is always referred to as a judgment thing, as we'll, as we'll discuss soon. It is used for where people end up, where they are sentenced to. And this is the place of fire that's talked about and suffering and things like that. But it, even though it is translated as hell in our English Bibles, it is a completely separate word. And every time Gehenna is used, it is used as a place of final judgment and of, of fiery torment and things like that. And so... Understanding all of that, and I know that was kind of a big crash course in original languages, but understanding that, I think it's becoming clear why I was so confused with how people were using hell and why maybe people listening may also, up to this point, have been confused about what hell is really like. Is it a place of suffering torment where God judges people and sends them there as punishment, or is it something else? Because again... As we see through, as we took that quick journey for the unsaved, there are two locations that they go to for the afterlife. They will go to a waiting room as they wait for judgment. They'll be resurrected and then sent somewhere else as they are sentenced because of their judgment. Now, again, like I said, if you want to see all these words and how they're used and translated throughout the Bible, I will have a link down in the show notes where you can look at all the ways that you see Sheol or Hades or Tartarus or Gehenna and see that even though they are translated hell, the context of them is actually a bit different. Now, we are probably about 30 minutes into the episode, so I think I will go ahead and uh, call this here. Um, so what we've talked about so far, just as kind of a recap, uh, I've asked the question, do the unsaved go to hell when they die? Meaning that people are there now. And do people spend eternity in hell? And so far, we've talked about the sequence of events where someone go is the unsaved are somewhere now, they'll be resurrected and then sent somewhere else. And how because of how the word hell has been translated based on four other words in the Bible, we often get very confused and just have an assumption that despite what we see in Revelation 20, and despite the discussions of 
the afterlife throughout, especially the New Testament, we still have this weird understanding that is just not consistent where we say, oh, when you die, you go to hell and you're going to be there forever. But now that we have better understood how this word is used in the Bible itself, ignoring being translated into, into hell in our English versions, we're starting to better see just how the Bible, when it talks about the afterlife, talks about two instances of it. Either you have Sheol or Hades, which are essentially the same thing, which is just the afterlife, where the dead go when they die. You have Gehenna that only appears once, and it is talking about what may be a specific room in Hades where only rebellious spirit beings are chained up because of their transgression in Genesis. And then finally, we have Gehenna, which is only used by Christ and only used when talking about where people will be sentenced to because of their actions, because of their deeds. Now, if at this point you're still maybe not sure why Gehenna can't just be hell as we think about it, we will talk about that more in the next episode where, where we are going to get a better definition of hell and look at what the Bible says about this waiting room where people are now and the place where they will go for their final sentencing and why our poor translation of Gehenna may be the biggest culprit in our misunderstanding of hell and whether or not people are either in hell now or will spend eternity in hell. And as one last note that I want to point out is that this may be a lot of new information for people. I fully understand that. It is difficult stuff. It's kind of heady. But one thing I want to point out is that I am just talking about facts in a way. Nothing that I'm saying at all changes the doctrine of the fact that people, when they die in their sin, they go somewhere that is clearly unpleasant. It also doesn't change the reality that those people will be resurrected and they will stand before God as judge who will look at their lives and compare it to his law to see if they have broken the law even one time. And if they have, they will be cast into the lake of fire. Nothing we're talking about changes the doctrine of hell. Instead, what we are doing here is simply making sure that we as God's people are being careful to read the Bible as it is written instead of translating it through our traditions. So I hope that this uh, part one of two has been helpful and useful and maybe even interesting. If you're still kind of struggling through it, um, I would encourage you to listen through it again. I will link the article down in the show notes as well. If maybe reading it would help you better uh, internalize what we're talking about. But until then, get ready for next week where, where we will get a better definition of what hell is and isn't. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash Onward in the Faith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 